Hello and welcome to ClapperCast, your weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host, Carson Tamar, joined by the lovely Paul Price. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing all right, all things considered. And Nicolo Grasso, how are you doing, Nick? I'm doing good. had a super, super long day, so it's nice to finally sit down and talk about some movies. Okay, well, let's be clear. What did you do today? I went to Venice for nine hours okay. to do location scouting so, for a music video. So when your casual day is like, oh, I had to go to Venice, Italy, like, fuck off. <laughs> anyway, it's yeah, good. but in in his defense, Venice is garbage. So it's hard to I traverse. Hate, Venice is hard. I to traverse. hated Venice. I was backpacking through all of Europe, and people always ask, "What's your least favorite city?" And I'm like, Venice by oh. far, hundred percent. Oh, I love Venice. You, when you go and it's like, well, it may be different to be a local, but when you're going and like you sit down at anywhere and it's like the prices are all of a sudden like Disney World prices. <laughs> it's I don't know where uh, to go. Yeah. This is insider huge... knowledge. <laughs> um, well, I'm sure. And also actually Italy in general, I felt like all of a sudden the prices just skyrocketed because mm. uh, like I spent more in Italy in like two weeks while I was there than I did in a month in France like bar none and i ate way better food in france that's italian Italian food's not great oh oh, wow shot shot let's move on Um, (laughs) actually actually uh when we talk about luca um i'll talk about uh, genoa (laughs) (laughs) yeah liguria we'll get there we'll get there before i feel like today is gonna be a fight but we'll see with each one of these films um, it's going to be back after last week's break of talking about our favorite films. And it's kind of fun, at least for me, because it feels like cinema is really back. There's so many releases this week that we actually couldn't talk about them all, which is quite exciting. Um, and let's just hope that some of them are good. And let's start off, though. I know I just mentioned how things are getting back to normal. Let's go back to quarantine. Let's go back inside with Bo Burnham's Inside. Paul, I know you just love this film or this special. It's not even really a film, but we're still talking about it. Why don't you introduce us to the special and your thoughts on it? Um, As I said in my letterbox review, I would have preferred a 87 minute long version of Gal Gadot's uh, Imagine video more than this. Uh, It really was one of the worst things I've watched in a while. And I get why people like it. It just felt so self-satisfied the entire time. Um, I really can't stand, I went to art school, um, back in Savannah, Georgia, and you could tell when people thought that they were geniuses and the entire time you're watching this, he thinks he's as clever as his biggest fanboys think he is. And, um, there's only one song, uh, that I even particularly thought was, uh, musically interesting and the rest are just it really does feel like your most boring moments when you were inside alone and I'm having to watch it and relive this. It was, it was so not for me <laughs> that um, there were a couple times if I wasn't watching it for this podcast, I definitely would have just pieced out. It was so frustrating to me. I'm curious. What's the song that you liked? Carson, we have the same favorite song. All eyes on me. Yeah, All Eyes on Me is the only one. And I don't even like the song. I just like that little hook. And I've been spending the past week because it reminds me of something. And I still haven't figured it out. If anyone knows, feel free to message it in. That he's definitely curbing it from. 
that da 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 is from something that I like. And that's why like I can feel that like little buzz in my brain that I'm like, oh, I enjoy this. But it's from some famous song or something. Um, but it's <laughs> it just it's not for me. <laughs> the the movie was definitely um overhyped before I watched it because everyone was loving it. And I have a friend of mine who like watched it and he said, you know what? This might be one of the best things I've seen in my 25 years on earth. It was like, okay, that's that's a lot. That's a big statement to make, very bold. But I watched it and I enjoyed it, but I didn't necessarily connect with it in any deep, profound way because I'm, conf- I'm conflicted. And I, I, I kind of wanted to rewatch it, but I just didn't find the time and the, the will to do it. <laughs> but taking it as a more or less performative documentary, let's say, about quarantine, it does feel kind of like you said, Paul, it does feel a bit hokey, a bit cheap, a bit like it's not not necessarily taking advantage of the situation, but just uh, portraying something that didn't really happen with him. Especially having seen how so many people um, connected with the movie, talking about, oh, you know, it reminded me of my quarantine. I was watching it and thought, there's very little quarantine feeling throughout, honestly, because he focused a lot on social media and certain issues with uh, politically correct, political correctness and all those things. But but in a way, it, it also works. That was what weirds me out. It's not, I don't dislike it and, and neither do I love it, but it was fascinating to watch for me. Um, just the blend of fiction and reality. There's the moments that are more heart to heart. It's all about self-awareness. And still, I'm not sure if it's self-awareness in a brilliant way or in a horribly misguided way. I mean, starting your, special, starting your special off with a song about how you have nothing interesting or worthwhile to say is like definitely a choice. Probably, I don't think it was a great choice, but that's it definitely was a was a choice. Yeah, it is I don't, I don't funny. Know if it was intentional. That's the thing. Well, and that's the other thing you've got to remember is especially, I'm guessing he's in L.A., in LA, I'm following his timeline, um, like when he's doing his birthday and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, we're kind of, we're not open, but we're open enough that like for your 30th birthday, you had a couple friends over, you know, um, <laughs> there's a couple spots throughout where he's like, I'm depressed. I'm alone. I'm stuck in this room. A, he's not stuck in this fucking room. That is one room in his massive house. with his girlfriend that he lives with like you're just sitting there and you're like you're not alone in this closet like you have the whole room the whole house you're putting yourself in this room to like you know talk but all these things uh the midnight scene where he turns 30 I was watching that and I was like it's so easy to set a clock that says that you're getting older and I'm like this is fake this is performative this never happened it probably was shot like days before or days after. And he's just, you know, and there's probably like three or four takes of it. Um, And that's kind of what got to me is like, he's trying to act like he's still an outsider when he was just in an Oscar nominated movie. You know, he's, he's done a movie that did the awards circuit a couple of years back. Like he's part of like the upper crust that we were like making fun of 
for them saying, my life is so sad in quarantine. And he's acting like he's one of us, which I think is worse than anything that any of like Ellen's video where she was like, I'm sad. She was at least showing off her massive mansion. Um, like they were admitting that like, you know, I am rich. This is still hard. Um, I just felt, uh, you know, and then you look at even the progression of his videos um, because it moves with his beard growth and everything. You can kind of tell when everything was shot. Um, it goes from like, he's just making another special to about after his birthday ish. He starts deciding that this needs to be like something like really reflective. And all of a sudden there's a shift to like everything sad. I'm depressed when in actuality in, you know, <laughs> in the U S and LA, like you started to go see a friend and you would stand a little ways away or, you know, we opened restaurants for a while and, you know, it just, it felt so false. And, uh, even as like a, um, relic of this time period like I kept imagining people watching this in a couple of years who were too young to really like do quarantine at his age or our age and I was like this was you know this is a false uh false explanation of what it was like the worst parts of quarantine were that we would reopen and then kind of close and this whole thing made it feel like he's just staying in a room and so you know you could be like, well, that's not what he was trying to say, whatever. But that's what he is saying. <laughs> the week after uh, his birthday, he probably went and go see Tenet. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. That's what I mean. It's like, uh, you know, we had drive-in movies and, you know, uh, restaurants were open, I think, around that point. Um, some people didn't go, but you were still getting taken or take out and um, all this stuff. It's just, it's so false. And if you follow that through line, I have nothing to say. And everything I say is false. It's like, okay, well, cool, dude. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily a, a, bad, a bad thing because it's, I think that's the moment where it kind of clicked for me compared to other pandemic related documentaries and things. It's because it's, it's purposely artificial. It's, it's, it's performative. It's, it's using a nonfiction way of doing a documentary. Uh, it's, it's almost poetic, you know. It almost qualifies as a poetic documentary. No, and I don't see that as a negative, <laughs> honestly. I, I, I mean, I, I can see why, and I agree about it coming off in a bad way sometimes. Um, considering everything, consider especially that's what I was thinking about. I was thinking you did a lot of press for, <laughs> for freaking uh, a promising young woman. So, but 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 that's that's it. He's, he's almost playing like a fictional version of himself. And, well, and, and that's, that's what's fascinating. Um, that's fine, but then you add stuff like the whole suicide speech, which is what most of my friends who like are white guys who uh, are you know the far leftish kind of personalities who connect with him were like, yeah, when he's talking about white guys feel suicide too. I was like, he was not feeling this. I mean, maybe he feels it at some points, and like everyone does, but like. <laughs> to have this thing where it's like I am so depressed in quarantine that's like okay well if it's artificial then you know the whole thing about I'm going to kill myself at 40 but uh you shouldn't kill yourself and here's why because I had friends it's so weird so many mixed messages um and I just feel like it's really frustrating for you know uh trying to connect with an audience and 
I, I could see what you're saying, but I also feel like people took it. The reason it's got like a 4.5 or whatever it has on Letterboxd right now is because people think that he was bearing his soul to you. And it's like, that's not what this is. <laughs> this is very performative. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah, we don't need to talk about like, I don't think we need to talk about like how people are viewing this thing. Cause yeah, I think the majority of them are wrong, but like, I, I think I'm more in the middle here on it. Like, I think it's number one, like it is impressive that this got made. I think like just from an like filmmaking standpoint, it looks incredible. The lighting's fantastic. But just the fact that he was able to pay that much money on Amazon to get the individual lighting for each song, it's just like, it is in general in bad taste. I have a lot of time for Bo Burnham. You know, I think easily the best moments in this whole entire um, film, let's call it, is when he's talking about himself personally and when he's talking about like, oh, his anxiety and his depression, because that's the stuff he really apparently suffers with and like a lot of people suffer with. And I'm very, you know, yes, he's rich. Yes, he has people, obviously. Yes, he's in, you know, he can go do things. Obviously, this is a performative art, but like ultimately that base, I felt bad for him for, but then he just expanded it into everything else. It doesn't help that I'm not necessarily a huge fan of a lot of the songs, but it just felt like it was a mess if I'm just being honest, like, and I just didn't care for the majority of it. Yeah. I, I think I'm more in the middle though. Like I wouldn't invalidate everything he has to say. And when he's being raw and honest about himself, it's good. I mean, compared to something like homemade, which I find it hilarious. We're talking about this on the podcast, probably on the one year anniversary of the podcast talking about homemade on Netflix, ironically. And I wasn't on that podcast. I don't think anyone else here was, but like that is completely insensitive where they're literally just like, I have a private Canyon and that's all I can go do. Like at least he is in a room. At least he is not showing his house, showing his like but, but, Canyon complaining. But, but I, no, I, I get your that. point. I agree to yeah. a point, but I agree. But that also, I don't think he's necessarily trying to say in every single moment here, it's authentic to like his real experience. Cause this was no one's experience. No one's experience was being trapped in a room, pressuring yourself. Like he has a lot of hatred towards the special himself, the self, you know, itself. And he talks about, Oh, my goal is to get it done by my birthday. And I didn't get it done. Like that was no one's experience in quarantine. Clearly that is a crafted thing to add drum and add emotion to this short. And he, you know, I don't know. I'm more mixed. I don't hate this, but I certainly didn't take away what a lot of people claim they did. And ultimately, I just like, I just don't care really what Bo Burnham's take is with you, Paul. I agree. Like, I don't know. You're rich. You have a huge house in LA. You have friends. Go FaceTime Elsie Fisher or whatever, like at the very least, like you're fine. Well, and I didn't, uh, I haven't really talked about this, but like I'm turning 30 soon and his 30 song literally pissed me off. Because he's sitting there and he's talking about like, oh my God, I'm turning 30. Here's what it's like. And I was like, that's not 30. The issue with 30 is that you haven't gotten enough done in life. The man is fine. <laughs> like turning 30, like that's one of the big things. It's like our parents were married with kids and had a you know full-time job that they were moving up in, maybe even had a house at this point. And 30 now is we can't really do that he's his career is amazing and it's been amazing since he was like 17 so this thing about 30 felt so disingenuous um and it really just felt like oh I didn't get to have a big party so I'm going to talk about like (laughs) something about this um it was just and I guess that's an overall thing for me and especially starting with the songs about like sexting and you know um white woman's Instagram and things like that. 
to be fair, I haven't listened to a lot of his stuff before this. Um, I actually bought one of his albums when I was a kid because I thought the cover was fun. And then I immediately put it in and I went, oh, it's this shit. And I turned it off um, and never went back till just now. Um, it's one of the reasons I haven't seen eighth grade. I was like, I find Bo Burnham very frustrating. And I know you're going to say, you would probably like eighth grade. No, I but, don't think uh, it's even that good of a film, but oh. it's not, not because like I, it's, it's, I wouldn't classify it as like, it's bad because of Bo Burnham and his style. Yeah. I, no, I, think, I, I don't it's think just, it's bad to clarify for the audience. I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it's that good, but. Yeah. So just, uh, but all my friends were like, no, 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 this is different. It's new. It's raw for him. Um, also, whenever someone uses the word raw, I'm on edge. Because I know that it's going to be the kind of raw that I'm never a fan of. But um, I do see why people like it. I do get that if you thought the music was funny. Um, but I find things like the sock, which someone posted the other day on Twitter, that it was the most heartrending moment of the past like five years. And I was like, y'all. <laughs> um, it's... Uh, there's just so much good art and a man's YouTube videos should not be. Oh, and going back to your point, Carson, about um, <laughs> he was able to get all this off Amazon. No, this was definitely a production with Netflix from the beginning. And they had somebody like, that's what I got really frustrated with, with all the stuff that said like made by Bo to Burnham. Da -da 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 -da. I was like the producer who was outside of that and had to get whatever this man's whims were is the real hero here because Bo like probably was like, I want it to look like this and this and this. And he had to be on with some tech guy for like 200 hours. My dad um, works in TV animation. So um, when we all had to close down, I saw from his perspective, having to get everyone's equipment set up. And it's like this whole thing where you'd set up with, he was the, he's the director of post. So he was the producer, I guess. And then would have the tech guy in with the talent and they'd all have to work it out and make sure everything was fidelity, you know, perfectly right and all this stuff. And um, it was so much work for the people that weren't the talent. And then like the stuff that like where people keep saying, oh yeah, he just did it all himself. I'm like, he did not. This was a whole crew. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's my real thing that I think pushes this down for me is that people are giving him such the benefit of the doubt on so many things that seem like not that interesting he wrote a couple cool songs i'm glad people enjoy the album um i don't need vulture or av club or whatever it was to tell me to listen to the album separate because it's a whole new experience <laughs> not doing it <laughs> that's all i'm gonna stop talking about this <laughs> You guys be positive. <laughs> I, th I think ultimately what my main problem with this, it's it's pacing. You guys put it off wonderfully. It's just, there's no structure. I don't know. It's intentional. It's not, how much do you plan? I don't know. I definitely felt the length of this, which is weird because it's barely 90 minutes long. And there came a time where I was like, oh, it's 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 another song. And actually, actually, quick question. Was this your, your first Bob Burnham special, whatever, for you guys? Yes. It was from, so I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know he made songs. I just knew him from eighth grade and Promising Young Woman and just the Zeitgeist. 
So I was like, oh, cool, a song. And it was like, oh, there's, there's more songs. Oh, it's just songs. Okay. Uh, it, they didn't bother me, to be honest. Um, I enjoyed them. I was listening to them again um, like an hour ago. I was like, you know what? They're, they're catchy tunes. They're, they made me smile. I was like, yeah, you know, they're, they're good. I wouldn't listen to them. I wouldn't have them on like my phone or Spotify or whatever. But for what it's worth, it's, I, I think it's a good time. And, and the fact that it, it did connect with people in a way Ultimately, that's what art is all about. Like, it's all about manipulating emotions. That's that's what it is. True, fake, documentary, fiction, doesn't really matter. It helps a lot of people. It made them uh, cope in a way with the pandemic, with what happened. So you know what? I'm just, I'm, I'm happy for them. <laughs> I'm happy for them. Uh, I don't think I'll be going back to this anytime soon. Um, I, I will be positive. I will say that I do like all eyes on me. I was telling Carson that I wish a DJ would grab it um, and just use that little hook. Um, mm. I will also say that I forgot my worst, uh, least favorite moment in this whole thing. Um, <laughs> it's when he has a breakdown, like he starts trying to do something and has a breakdown and knocks over some stuff and then storms out. If you notice, the thing he knocks over is the only thing that doesn't actually have any lighting equipment attached to it. And if you look, it's so planned. I went and rewatched it um, before this to be like, am I crazy? No. <laughs> so be on the lookout for that when you uh, rewatch or if you watch for the first time, which I do recommend um, overall. I would say, no, I don't like it. And I think it's really tacky, but I do think that like, if it connects with you, like it's... <laughs> Carson's just sitting there laughing. Um, overall, I would say 30 minutes about how you hate this. You're, <laughs> you're one positive, like, oh, I kind of like one song. Then you're like, I recommend people watch this. I mean, good on well, you, Paul. Because, because the thing is, I've talked about this at length with other people who still love it and are like, yes, everything you're saying is correct. I 100% agree. Didn't think about any of that. However, it did connect with me because I was lonely and sad. I don't, I do think that there wasn't enough good pandemic content. And if you do need a moment to grieve, this isn't good, but enjoy it. <laughs> sure. Um, That's my review. <laughs> always the positive one on the podcast. Why don't we leave the inside and go outside to Washington Heights within the Heights? I am going to start out because I did the review for Clapper. I to watch this film number of months ago actually i saw this early and nick what you said Ooh. about inside well you didn't get a screener paul so but yeah where where was my screener carson yeah, where are any of my screeners where is my f9 screening uh <laughs> san diego if you want to come down i can add a plus one um so nick what you said about inside is pretty much what i'm gonna say here if this film i'm never gonna shit on someone if they see themselves in a film and they really feel powered by it obviously i'm gonna sit here as a white man didn't really see myself too much in this film. I, that's not the reason I didn't like the film, but I, I didn't like this film overall. But if you did find power in this, if you found yourself, saw yourself on screen, like good on you, I'm not going to take that away from you. Strictly speaking from my experience with the film, I just don't think this movie's that good. It is so fucking long. This is like, we talked about inside feeling long and inside, let's be clear, felt long. This one, I was sitting there in the theater, IMAX theater. No one can complain that I didn't give this the time of day, like watching it on my phone, sat there in the theater. And this just went on and on and on. I think the biggest issue with it 
is that it can't build momentum because it's doing this holistic style of storytelling where they're trying to show this overall, you know, part of this town and they're trying to jump through all these different characters and it never feel like it builds momentum. I will also say the ending of this film, I'm not going to spoil it, but this is going to be spoiler free, but man, it was one of the most unsatisfying endings to any film maybe I've ever seen. It just, it was not good. And it tried to be really poetic and it tried to do this and it just, for me, it didn't work. This movie overall, like I, I thought it was more positive on it when I first left the theater. And then when the podcast came around this time, I was like, well, I went, maybe I'll rewatch it. And I kind of went on HBO max and I like was going to watch it. And then I like, I have no desire to watch this. And I realized I'm more negative on it than I thought I was. I think outside of Anthony Ramos, there's not a single really good performance in this film. I think it's all extremely average. The filmmaking is extremely shaky. They released the uh, pool dance online and they go to Anthony in this uh, dancing segment and click. He's on one of the worst green screens I've ever seen in my life. It is just not good for me, at least. Again, if you feel power in the film, good on you but not for me. Did you, were you guys more positive on this one? Well, if you look on film Twitter, they would say that you actually uh, were seen, Um, which, and that's one of the things like, I think will become this film's legacy. If you haven't read, there's a a issue about um, Afro Latinos versus Latinos. I've read both sides and I've never been to Washington Heights because I've never been to New York. Um, And so I have no, I have no weight in that conversation. Um, But outside of that, um, I do agree with you, Carson. I think it is too long. Um, I did not enjoy this, but I didn't. I do find myself enjoying lines Uh, going back to even inside. Like I didn't really remember any of the songs like that, at least like a couple of times I will be like, oh, that was a nice hook. Um, I think the repetition of those hooks borders on psychotic at points um, and the very experience of watching it is too much uh the other thing that's really interesting is you were talking about the ending and overall um i have not seen the play originally but my friends who have and still liked the movie say that this was butchered um apparently the frame story does not exist in the original musical um which i think is one of the biggest the film's biggest problems and there's a character who dies and apparently the dying is a different sequence entirely. Um, the reveal about her twist um, that comes after her death in the movie actually happens before and it makes a lot more sense as to why she would like decide to die. Um, <laughs> and it's supposed to be like a very like noble thing to do. Um, there's things like that throughout that just um, feel shaky. Uh, there's an entire character deleted as well. Apparently a lot of people's favorite character. Um, it, just overall, how you delete a character in a two and a half hour long movie is wild to me. Um, I am worried about Wicked um, now that I know that John Chu's uh, doing that as well. Um, think that he isn't great at musicals. Uh, someone I read uh, uh, said that this was a rougher musical than Nine, um, which is known as being like one of the roughest musicals and kind of killed uh, Rob Marshall's career um, after Chicago. Um, even though I particularly like Nine, I think it's fun. But um, 
And I think that's the same thing. I will be curious if they keep him on for Wicked, if I'm 100% honest, between the box office for this and uh, the second round of accusations about miscasting, um, complete with that really terrible Roots interview. Um, I <laughs> I think he's in trouble right now. Um, but I did like the cast overall. Um, I watched it with a couple drinks and a couple friends in the IMAX as well. And I think that that um, made me a little more uh, cool with it. Although I do did feel the length. But I'm curious what you thought, Nick. I... I was dreading this movie. I honestly was. I was looking at the lineup for this episode. I was like, oh, Jesus. Oh, no, I have to watch it now because I wasn't really looking forward to it, which is weird because I grew up watching tons of musicals, um, even in the theater, musical versions of At Home, went to the theater a couple of times whenever we're in London. If we can, we try to squeeze in one of them. We actually actually did watch Wicked, funnily enough. Uh, I, I didn't really like it as well, unfortunately. So I don't know what I'm going to think of the movie when it comes out. But started watching in the heights and i liked it i honestly did um i think it's it's one of those cases where just lowering my expectations helped a lot because it was like okay i'm not going to enjoy this and actually it it won me over um knowing it was going to be super long i kind of braced myself for pure boredom but it just sucked me into the atmosphere it's just pure vibes all along that that's Uh, what made me appreciate it i'm curious nick um since you're out in Italy, where did you watch it? Not in theaters, right? Or At was home. It? At okay. home on the TV. It was I me, do... my family, and the loudspeakers. I think the whole I neighborhood do... heard I us. Do... <laughs> and going back to the box office, I do think watching it at home was the better experience, if I'm honest. Mm. Uh, I do think like being able to get up and go to the bathroom and the movie's just like playing and <laughs> like making your own intermission and things like that. We had have... no breaks. That's the thing. We had no breaks. We were already like, okay, halfway through, we're going to have a quick break just for safety and blah, blah, blah. And every, like my dad doesn't like musicals. He doesn't like these kinds of movies. And he watched it. He had his tablet open for the first like 40 minutes and then he just closed it down and watched the rest of it. And he said, you know what? This was pretty good. Which from him, it's like one of the biggest endorsements this type of movie can get. And I think it's all because of like the songs. I'm not a big fan of Lin-Manuel Miranda. I wasn't here when you guys talked about Hamilton, but there's some songs that are wonderful. There's so many that are just, like you said earlier, just so repetitive. And there's this constant style of like, da 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 Like the constant rapping a la Lin-Manuel Miranda that just annoys me so much. Even though, thankfully, he's barely in this movie and Anthony Ramos actually can sing. He's actually a talented singer, so it, it helps when he's singing. Um, but I, I like the inventiveness of... Well, not inventiveness, but just... It made me wonder when was the last time I enjoyed this type of, like, broad musical that was constant, song after song after song, on such a big scale. It's a perfect summer watch, I think. It's not the type of movie that I'm going to go back to in the future. But just watching it, um, I was sweating during it because it's super hot here. So I was feeling for the characters on an inherent level. Um, it, it, it just, it's, it's, it's delightful. It's delightful in a very um, innocent way. I cannot really comment on the controversies that are surrounding it. 
um, I think it's it's always so hard, so so hard to make these movies. Like the fact that it already exists, it's a lot, and I think there's issues that need to be tackled and improve in the future. But for what it is, I'm yeah, it's it's good. It's good fun. Yeah, I mean the atmosphere is like incredible. If you want to film the summer to really feel like the summer, like this mm. one in the nicest way possible is dripping with sweat. Like you will feel the summer, um, and it's also quite hot here, so you know it, it fits nicely. Um, Ooh, I will say it, one thing it, that I will say. Sorry, what? before I forget, the thing I dis- I like I didn't like of the narrative because it's it's like there's barely any narrative. It's very loosely structured, kind of like inside. There's no rhythm. There's no pacing. It's just things. Things are happening. There's songs. Just shut up and enjoy it. But the only thing I didn't like was the key romance. I was mm. just like of everything going on in this movie, I don't care about you two. It's literally just like yo, she pretty. Yo, he's kind. <laughs> that's it and I don't care and with uh, avoiding spoilers that is the whole movie is about that romance and her actually I will do mild spoiler the worst outfits I have ever seen (laughs) and she's like look at this shit I made and he's like I'm gonna quit my dreams for you baby (laughs) horrible horrible. hated the twist at the end it's just like yeah okay we're so just gonna do a quick predictable <laughs> well if i may quickly what i was gonna say just to finish this sorry, move Carson, on. sorry i yeah. was gonna say it's interesting that your dad doesn't like musicals but like this i went with my friend who's like obsessed with musicals goes to broadway every year like just for broadway like loves them it loves in the heights the musical didn't like this movie didn't like the like musical aspects of it which i thought was interesting but go ahead paul oh yeah um i was just gonna say and going off your thing, I went with a bunch of people who are like huge fans of the musical and they like walked out and they were like, yeah, <laughs> like this was, I guess, a movie adaptation. Um, I just feel like there was not enough in this movie that fit for the runtime. Um, and that means it's full of songs uh, in a way that, and this is how I felt with Hamilton as well. His stories don't really like when i like learn about musicals it's supposed to be that the songs are supposed to uh, continue the storyline and i feel like how miranda's storylines are are here's the plot and then we're going to do a song about that plot and it's not going to move the plot at all and that's kind of how i felt with this the whole time it was like okay plot 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 oh stopping we're going to do the song about the plot. Like, especially 96,000, which people really love. Um, that is, like, the the marquee. Um, and I agree with that green screen. But um, that doesn't say anything. <laughs> and actually, I want to say that the song slows down and or as over when they actually reveal that no one won in that pool area. Um, <laughs> which is like, so I just listened to a whole song about everyone wants to win the lotto, duh. And then they, you know, talk about how much they want to win the lotto. It was like, um, there's no movement to any of the, the songs to where once you've gotten the gist of the song, you're just like, can we move on? Um, and I would say that's the most notable with the, um, the final dance sequence between Corey Hawkins and uh, the actress who plays his girlfriend. Um, first Leslie of all, Grace. 
yes, the most unmotivated uh, transformation into a real uh, fantasy sequence I have ever seen in my entire life, bar none. Uh, this movie has fully been realistic outside of like a woman's dying, you know, imagination. And then it cuts to like they're dancing on the side of a wall. And I was like, it was literally just for the trailers. And actually that's why I was like kind of excited about the movie. I was like, oh, this is going to be like wild and crazy. Uh, But they also show a child watching them, which means that they are dancing on the side of a wall. (laughs) So Corey Hawkins is Uh, (laughs) Spider-Man. I know it's It's not supposed to be like a thing, but it was like one of those things that I was watching. I was like, what am I supposed to be getting from this? It's not a fantasy sequence, but it is. But they're not noticing this child who sees them. And that overall is just my problem with John Chu. Um, It's been my problem with a lot of his movies is he feels like so unmotivated in things that he just thinks are going to be great shots. Um, and sometimes he's right, sometimes he's wrong, but it still never feels motivated. Um, and I felt that this entire movie. And, you know, I do think Anthony Ramos is good. Um, he's a little flat at points. And I think he, I think the ending, why it doesn't work, probably falls squarely on him. Um, I do think it's very silly, and I think the changes are silly, but um, I think a better actor could have sold it. But uh, I haven't seen Lin-Manuel Miranda's version, and I was actually going to say his (laughs) cameo that is also the post-credit sequence was one of the most insane things I've ever seen in my entire life. when I'm sitting there with this group and we're all just kind of like talking about the movie or whatever, and then it starts back up and it's Lynn doing a reprise of his terrible song. I was cackling. I was like, this is a man who believes that everyone is going to be cheering right now because he's so cool. <laughs> so funny when, when he came up, like we were, we were talking over Dan credits as well. And I literally said something like, Oh man, but like, we got so many random songs, but we never saw Lin Manuel again. Thank God! <laughs> Boom! And he just pops up. Paragua, paragua. It's like, no, no, just. <laughs> I'm so sad when I saw it in theaters. We bounced like as soon as the runtime ends. We didn't watch the credits or anything. No. And you had to tell me afterwards. And I went back and I watched it on HBO Max. <laughs> the one good thing about being on HBO Max is that I could just quickly go and just see that one bit. But I'm so sad I didn't stay. No one did. Everyone left immediately, which I guess it was something. I don't think anyone was there to see Lynn. You're not expecting a post credit scene in front of In the uh, Heights. <laughs> well, especially it doesn't add anything. No. It definitely feels like oh, well, we can't put this in the movie. The movie is already 700 hours long. So like, we'll just put it at the end and your fans will love it. I feel um, genuinely bad as someone who worked in a theater for the, all the Usher staff who now has to wait for everyone because they have to see the end credit scene. Like, yeah. people love the end credit stuff. If you work in a theater, you know it's the worst thing to happen to cinema. It is miserable. Yeah. Um, the other thing, when we're talking about this, uh, and I'm curious about your guys' opinion, um, and I briefly touched on this this movie tanked it didn't just like kind of tank it is a out and out failure um and i'm curious about what you guys think a lot of people are putting it to the controversy i give no credence to that a couple people are giving it to uh that it was watched a lot at home 
maybe, but I also don't. There's something that happened with this movie, and I'm curious what you guys think. I think it's really difficult to sell musicals in general, but I think also this is like clear proof of like the film Twitter bubble and how small that really is. Cause this was one of the most anticipated. Everyone was anticipating this film on film Twitter. Anyone who had seen it loved it, except for me. Apparently I got told I was racist and I hated it because I hate life and everything, but whatever. So like everyone loves this film. Everyone was anticipating. Everyone was like, Oh my God, it's going to go. It's going to be the best theatrical experience ever. Blah, blah, blah. And then no one showed up. And I think this just shows how small the film Twitter bubble is. I think ultimately it is because just musicals are too hard to sell. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, it's the HBO Max thing. We know like there's been like stuff and data has come out to say that the streams on HBO Max has also been lower. Plus, like we've seen that not affect films like Tom and Jerry and all these other HBO Max original titles. So it's just one of those things where it's just I don't think the hype was ever there for this film, how I think everyone thought it was. So and 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 also like I was I was I just gave a quick look at Box Office Mojo looking at other HBO Max movies and almost all of them have opened worldwide in one way or another in the cinemas. This one still hasn't. It's having a very slow release. I don't think it's going to make that much money because to be honest, like from my perspective, I, I know musicals more or less. My sister loves them. She's a big fan of them. We had never heard of In the Heights before this movie, like ever. It's just not a thing in Europe. I don't think anyone knows about it. I don't even think it probably went to London, maybe. I don't know. But it's definitely no Hamilton or anything like that. So I yeah, think I... it's already a like a small, not property, but like musical that's not that known. It's very grounded in a very specific city place it's hard to sell like carson said it's when are when are musicals making tons of money unless they have Hugh jackman in it it's the same thing in america like washington heights is like this small piece of hamilton trivia that's what it lives by is it's like oh it's Mm -hmm. the one lynn made before that did you know that like no one very few people outside of like specifically who really care about broadway and care about musicals like know what washington or in the heights is the bubble the bubble you talked about definitely Yeah, um, I agree with that as well. And I think overall, there was a sense of if you like Hamilton. And actually, I would be curious to know if Disney's release of Hamilton hurt this. Because I saw a lot of people online who weren't part of the Twitter bubble being like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. This isn't the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I do wonder if his mystique kind of died out a little bit when people finally got to see Hamilton. Um, Because I think, and I would also say just the Hamilton of it all. um, We've just heard about him nonstop for so long. Uh, (laughs) For years now. And uh, I remember attempting my way through Hamilton. and it wasn't for me uh but i did like you'll be back and there's not a you'll be back even in here there's nothing that feels standard musical um you'll be back is the king song if you haven't seen it um it's the most like traditional musical it is Um, the one referenced in in the heights isn't it i believe it is the one the ringtone yeah, the ringtone for oh, Jimmy Smith. Well, the waiting, the waiting. The waiting, sorry, yeah. Oh, that's so funny because I uh, I definitely went to the bathroom at one sequence 
And apparently like four or five different things happened that I like needed to know. <laughs> and I meant to go back before this. Uh, I missed all of it. Uh, and when I say I went to the bathroom, I mean, I went to the bathroom and then went straight to the theater bar and grabbed another truly. <laughs> I was like, can I get a truly and also put a vodka in it? Thanks. <laughs> it's weird. Cause like, I don't even know a single, I don't remember a single song from in the Heights other than the pool song. Like I can kind of hum that one powerless. Cause I genuinely like this might sound terrible. I laughed so hard during the whole powerless scene when the grandma was sing- like started singing me and my friend both did to be fair. So like, if I'm a horrible person, she is also, but like we started laughing during that scene, but outside of those two songs, like even those, I can't really like sing. Uh, well, in, in the Heights. In the Heights. Da, 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 da. Uh, I guess. Um, oh, actually. <laughs> making fun of film Twitter for a second. Um, everyone posting that uh, image of Anthony Ramos looking out the window at all the people dancing. And they're like, this is one of the greatest shots of all time. And it's literally just a, com- uh, you know, a composed shot in like After Effects was one of the funniest things to me. I was like, I could do this. I could literally do this shot. <laughs> like, it's not hard at all. Um, which could have done without just... so much of the CGI in this movie, honestly. Yeah. Even the little, oh, look, they're, they're making white things as you can barely see with the white background with the street. Nice. Mm, good effects. I like them. Definitely needed. Oh. You just said this, and it shouldn't have reminded me, but um, the Han Solo moment of why Usnavi is named Usnavi had me cackling to the point that I had to bite my lip. And I was like, I'm going to be bleeding in a second because I was in a theater full of people. And he's like, my dad saw Usnavi. And then they show a big US Navy. It's so good. (laughs) It also, like, there's this constant thing about his dad. Um, overall and talking about like themes and things and they never give a reason for him to care about any of this outside of like this uh overall just like heritage thing and i could see like people actually being a little annoyed about how this ends based on all that um because it's a very weird choice that they make a couple times um, throughout this in regards to his need to go home and what home is and everything like that. And I never felt like they give a strong enough uh, explanation to why Washington Heights is his home. Um, There's where, and I think that's where the girl is. So it's literally and the I think I, reason. I think that's it. Um and the kid that he's actually trying to bring back. Yeah, like and the, the kid. Cousin. cousin. Oh. But he's, yeah. he's trying to bring him back to the, to the, to the, the Dominican Republic, wherever it was. The whole, that kid, who we have not mentioned because he's not important to the story, except he's the most important thing to all of their endings. Every single ending relies on this kid that I barely remember. And I only remember him from the endings where I was like, wait, you're changing your whole life because of this kid who's kind of been a piece of shit the whole time? 
also like if you to build a character like i don't know i think like to like reflect on this film and overall just how it doesn't build correctly like this is a character who's really struggling to get to college and you're supposed to feel really bad for him and like i do it's you know it's a very bad situation a lot of people find themselves in but then like yeah he's also gonna just have beats headphones and like walk it's like well that doesn't it doesn't (laughs) add up like this movie doesn't add up like it want it writes so many also like you have the whole protest angle which like doesn't it doesn't justify it doesn't earn it doesn't earn anything like this one just it doesn't add up it feels like it's so lacking in actual craft and just like it, i guess craft is probably the best word actually it feels like it's lacking in craft i think, like I think you would get away with it if it was a play i don't think you get away with it as a film i think i think well, the craft filmmaking wise it's it's good like the way it's handled compared to other music like i don't like the greatest showman at all and i think this one does it way better in terms of like the choreographies capturing the songs the music um, but yeah, it's it's the storytelling. It's a bit shoddy. It's very surface level. I'll actually, I'll actually badly. I'll push back on that. Um, I've never seen Greatest Showman, but you know what? I know what you, know, you should see them. it. You should see it. I think it's very you, Paul. Um, well, the thing is, I was gonna say I know those songs. Like I know those songs. I have not seen it. I have not even gone out and looked for Greatest Showman. I could not imagine a scenario <laughs> where someone who has not seen In the Heights knows the songs from this movie. Yeah. Um, and that's that's going to be me being like a stickler for uh, musicals. Um, I really love musicals, but I also find that if the songs are not catchy as hell, I mean, there's a reason that Cats, as insane as it is, like people still kept up with, like even the original play, let's not talk about the movie. There's a reason because the songs are catchy and fun. And, you know, you sit there and you're like, I saw it once when I was seven. And I, when I was in theaters, I was like, I know these songs, Mr. Mistopheles and McCavity. And yeah, I knew the songs. And then you go to this and it's like, it's a drug. I, I think that's a problem overall with uh, Miranda's stuff. And actually I was talking about this with my dad. Now that he's moved into like music, like doing Moana and doing like more like traditional, I actually like his stuff. I think that this was a couple of experimental things to get his name known. And now he's moved into more traditional stuff. And I actually like it. You know, there's great songs in Moana. Um, And it'll be interesting to see this is longevity outside of this, because I don't think even as like a musical movie, musical fans will watch this a bunch of times. Um, and I don't mean specifically for theatrical. Next weekend, this movie's gone. Um, there's too much coming out. They can't keep up with a movie that's gone from, what was it, second to sixth over a weekend? Like, <laughs> um, I mean, film Twitter, some people are seeing it nine times already. So, like, they're going to be, yeah, they're yeah, trying, yes. they're trying their so hardest. Over again. No, but they're watching it on HBO Max. And I don't count that. Um, if if box office numbers are not showing, uh, I know someone who watched their 24 hour screener link three times for this film. (sighs) Okay. Here's my question with musicals specifically. Did they watch it 
or did they have like even the guy uh, that you're talking about the ninth screening he said i put it on while making dinner that's not watching the movie Ooh, gonna call him out got it <laughs> i no 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 i'm just like i'm calling out the fact yeah. that like it, it, but even like your guy who watched it three times that's like oh i liked the music i'll just put it on in the background well they went to two press screenings so they definitely saw it at least twice that person is um a fan well, and to I'm be fair, happy. it's like that with every film at this point. People like yeah, I'm happy I don't know how them. people have time to watch these films that's, so much. Um, yes. Actually, this is separate. And to your credit, what you're saying, I struggled to get to these movies that we watched this week, as well as things that I just enjoy. And like, I haven't watched um, <laughs> some of my favorite stuff that like released on Friday, which is wild for me. Um, because it's just, there's so much content right now. Um, it's really like, and it's a mistake on all the studios right now. Um, the fact that everyone's just glutting it. And then you look and most of these movies came out in 2019 or were shot in 2019. There was no reason for an entire year of nothing. And then everything coming out at once. Um, it's, I think it's going to bite a lot of people in the butt. Oh, and going back to uh, same thing, but going back to why I don't think it made money. I think that we'll see this similarly with something like Black Widow and other things that aren't dire to see that we've just heard about. Um, a Quiet Place 2 is disproving this theory a little bit, but I do think that like once you've heard about something, I, I was calling it last year. I felt like everything was going to feel like it was microwaved leftovers. Um, and that's what this feels like. It's what Black Widow feels like to me. Um, no Time to Die does not feel like that. Yeah. A Quiet Place 2 felt like that to me, but people are wanting to see that. The King's um, Man is coming out in December. And it already is so like, I have zero hype for that film. Because okay, it's been, here's... I think it depends greatly on how many times it's pushed back. I'll say In the Heights fell that way, but granted, like good on In the Heights, it was pushed back once. They pushed it back a year. That is smarter than a King's Man who every three months got a new release date. Um, I do think that's for film Twitter, but I think that it actually works out for them because nobody remembers that movie came out <laughs> or is coming out. And so Which I one? do think that uh, King's Man. I don't know. We've had like four trailers for it. They no, have no, the but banner. Like, they the, have the banner I, in my cinema from like November 2020, <laughs> just right? standing there right now. Which That's is like amazing. its third release date. That That is its yes. third release date. Um, <laughs> we saw the trailer, yeah. I think, in front of Star Wars, I want to say, back in 2019. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, but so... I guess what I'm saying is like once the uh, the awareness level is on the floor i think you can rebuild that and i think that's the same with no time to die once they knew sure. that they were moving it they have not talked about that movie for a big push later um i think, I think quality heights, depends also though greatly yeah true uh but i think in the heights i felt like i kept hearing about even though <laughs> yeah um and then doing the long rollout of those screenings i think really hurt it too because i felt like i kept thinking hasn't this movie come out i need to watch it for the pod and it was like oh it's not out for another month the embargo broke like three months before the release date for like yeah. reviews and stuff yeah because it definitely came out um before cruella 
and Cruella <laughs> like even had like a week or two that I was like, ooh, this feels like I thought it was out, but it's not. Yeah, it looks like the embargo broast, bro- uh, that broke probably in April because I saw it May 9th and the embargo is already out. And before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode. Let's transition over to the worst streaming service. Well, I don't know if I'm going to say that. Let's go to Netflix, our favorite. You know, it's it's a week of film. And of course, we can't leave without covering Netflix. Let's talk about Wish Dragon. Let's do it. Uh, Nick, why don't you introduce us to Wish Dragon? Because I saw this a couple weeks back and I don't remember anything about it. So, Nick, you're going to introduce this one. Have you guys, have you guys watched Aladdin? This is Aladdin, but Chinese. And honestly, it's all right. It's all right. Again, it's kind of like in the heights. It's another one of those cases of just, you know, lower your expectations and you're not going to hate yourself. It's a good time. It's literally, like, literally, it's Aladdin. It has the genie, but it's a dragon. It's in China, modern-day China, instead of ancient uh, Arabia. And it's, it's, it's all right. You know, it's this kid. He wants to meet up with his childhood friend who's super rich. So he gets this dragon that's in a teapot and he's trying to be better in life and he wants to make his mom proud. It's good feelings, good feelings all around. Um, it's light, it's fun. It's decent animation. I think the, like Sony animation is weird. I wouldn't necessarily call it the more most artistic or visually pleasing, but they're very, they're, they've always put an emphasis on just peculiar character designs and Oddly smooth movements. Even think of the Hotel Transylvania movies. They always have this like quick. It's it feels almost like a cartoon for like that you'd watch on the kids children's channel, like those super cheap ones, but with a budget, an actual good budget. You know, that's that's. I also have very little to say about it. It's it's Aladdin, but in China, and it's all right. Yeah, I also have very little to say. I think this is probably gonna be a short review, but like, I think this is also fine. I don't think it's anything stand out. I think that even in the realm of like Netflix original animation, like I enjoyed, I think the Mitchells and the Machines versus the Machines, whatever you want to say about that film. And I know Paul has plenty to say about that film. You can go listen to our full episode. Like I think that carries probably more of an impact, whether you like it or love it or hate it, than this film does. The animation is solid. I like the voice casting quite a bit. Um, it is the Aladdin story was originally Chinese. So like, it's not just like an adaptation. It's a return to form. And I, I liked it for what it is. Genuinely, like I, I, I have no issues with the film. It's nothing stand out. I wouldn't say like, go watch this now, but it's on Netflix. If you have a child and you're just looking for something to throw on, I think this is absolutely harmless and quite okay. Wait, 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 wait. Um, I have one question. Aladdin, how is it originally Chinese? Isn't it from... Uh- Apparently uh- the story itself is originally Chinese according to the press release Netflix sent out. Okay, just because it's the Netflix from, could be technically uh, lying about this. Well, what is it from? A thousand and one Arabian Nights. Um, yeah, sorry. yeah, a thousand and one nights <laughs> is like an Islamic book. So maybe it's like you know uh, a a flood myth style like you know repetition <laughs> of the same story. Well, I just mean like multiple cultures having the same story. Um, but yeah, I was like, no, Aladdin definitely comes from like Arabian Nights, which I attempted to read when I was like 15. And I remember just not being able to get through it because I was. Dumb. Oh, it might be set in China. I'm looking it up now. I'm really yeah. not sure. Yeah, yeah. It's um, set in China. Yeah, no. Western I thought it was. China. Okay. It's very interesting that it is a just like 
I like went and researched the director and he's just like kind of a dude who was like a production designer <laughs> who somehow ended up getting an animated movie. Um, but it was really interesting watching this movie after hearing it is just like Aladdin. It is just like Aladdin. And then watching it, it is just like Aladdin to like points that I was like, oh, wow, this is just like Aladdin. Like I, I wrote you, Carson. The main villain is like, Jafar <laughs> like to a point that's a weird like feels like a wink and a nod um you know those like bargain bin movies that they make whenever a Pixar movie releases like Ratatouille or whatever um <laughs> this <laughs> like, is better well, than like, that you know. be careful no no no, is... no no but like I'm just saying it feels like that that's like a quick buck movie uh yes the animation style is good but then I was like, okay, well, maybe they'll do a different ending. And they do, except <laughs> they're just like, what about Midas's touch? <laughs> Let's just steal that instead. And like, as I was watching, I was like, well, okay. And also like the ending of that is weird. But I'll talk about the one thing that was really like an odd moment to me that felt vaguely racially insensitive and also like just vaguely weird was the scene with Clucky their little chicken that they have as a kid and they're like showing it and they're raising it as a pet and then it cuts to them crying over its grave and then eating its corpse was so weird and like in a way that wasn't funny like I know it was supposed to be funny and I was just like this just feels wrong. There was something in me that was just like, I feel like they're making a joke about the culture and not about the characters or that it's like funny that you would eat your chicken. Um, and that was like my one thing. And I kind of sat with that for a while. <laughs> like I would say until the genies revealed, I was just like, that clucky scene was so weird. <laughs> and it's within the first like five minutes of the movie, but it stuck with me for a while. I will say I do I do like the ending of this one. We we're talking about the Aladdin comparison. I do like how this one goes in a different direction in a way that's that's more positive. Like all of these movies are always about, you know, I want I want to be a prince, but, but I'm not. But in the end, I'm getting old bitches and old money in the world, baby. And this one it's not it's not about that. I, I think it grounds it in a way that's more uh, it's, it's gonna leave children, I think, with a better outlook on life, probably. Because it's, you know, he gets the girl. It's not a spoiler. If, you, if you're listening to this, you feel like you're being spoiled, <laughs> freaking wish dragon. We said it's like Aladdin. You've seen it. But it doesn't end with massive riches. It's it's the whole, you know, the family, having a good family, having a good life. That's what's most important. And it's good. I kind of like that. It could have easily no. been, uh, and, and he's going to get super rich now. It's like, no. Okay, happy. and Will he I should have become super rich. What a he's so dumb for not becoming rich immediately. <laughs> would have fixed oh. so much. I felt so like you could have fixed not only you could be with the girl, but you could have your mother stop working. She's working extra shifts. Like, wow, feel bad for her. But he's like, no, I'm good. Leaving the slums. Well, man. that's um, that's where real life is. <laughs> that's in, where okay, happy. in the in the I'm Heights so 2021, you know. Actually, yeah. actually, yeah. I do have some uh, uh, things to discuss about this movie. Um. Din is not the main character of this movie. Like, if you follow traditional uh, protagonist arc, he is our viewpoint character. But our protagonist is the wish dragon. 
in a way that's very weird uh, because he doesn't get enough time to have a character arc, but he does have an arc. <laughs> and he is he is the um, every single sequence in the third act is him making decisions. Um, even what you're talking about with the finale, that's his decisions, not Din, our lead. Um, Aladdin is Aladdin is the lead. Um, and I don't know if this was changes. I'd be so curious about the con like the conception of this film because did he know that he was making Aladdin? He had to have. To the point that there's a scene where they open the tea instead of the lamp. And he's talking, uh, the wish dragon is small and he talks in a little voice and it is the same joke that's in Aladdin. Like the same joke. And at that point I was like, I guess you guys knew, but the changes that they make feel like they were making them so that you wouldn't think it was Aladdin, <laughs> if I'm honest, um, in a very weird way. Mitchell's versus the machines, I do not like. But I do think. That Wait, really? I thought you loved that movie. I thought no, you loved no, it after everything we talked about. I was going to say. Uh, no, I actually like this better than uh, Mitchell's versus the machines. I think Mitchell's versus the machines is very cynical. Um, and I found out that that director is doing the Ninja Turtle movies. And I'll go back to being a millennial again and say that really hurt my soul. Um, <laughs> all I want in my life is a good Ninja Turtles movie. And apparently I will never get it. Um, maybe one day <laughs> on my deathbed, I'll be able to watch it. Um, but uh, this is like, it just feels like such a weird film to make because I'm not sure why it exists in like, I don't think that the creator had any particular like connection to it. It just feels very cynical. It all, uh, Sony Pictures right now is feeling so devoid of like a vision for their company um, in a way that worries me outside of uh, Spider-Verse, which I think that's also why I don't particularly like Mitchell's versus the Machines. I feel like it's a rehash of something that was very inventive. Um, and I don't know. It's interesting well, that they're all going to Netflix. I'm sure you're going to love their upcoming films this year. You have the Hotel Transylvania 4 without Adam Sandler, and you have the Lin-Manuel Miranda um, animated film. So I'm sure you're going to love those. <laughs> well, on that note, let's go into our last film this week that we're going to be reviewing. Luca from Disney Plus. It's or Disney. It's finally out on Disney Plus exclusively. I was very anticipating this film. I was very excited, and I quite like the film. I don't think it's like top tier Pixar by any means about two boys they're sea monsters where they're on land and dry they turn into humans very simple concept they go into the human world and they have to hide their identities and they want to win a race to win a Vespa very very sweet little film um, reminds me a lot of Studio Ghibli well specifically I should say Hayao Miyazaki over Studio Ghibli I don't know if anyone here has seen Future Boy Conan the movie or the show but this is like almost directly like Future Boy Conan at times um, obviously the joke is like, oh, it's gay. It, it isn't 
you know, obviously outwardly gay. We know it wasn't going to be with Disney. I think there is some quite heartwarming bits here, especially towards the end where I cried like a baby. And I think you can obviously give a queer reading, not just like, I think specifically the importance of LGBTQ plus individuals supporting each other more than being in a relationship. I think that was very, very touching. Obviously it's like, well, okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you, Disney, for not actually giving us like it being gay, but I still enjoy this. I think the animation is beautiful. And I think the voice acting specifically uh, from Jacob Tremblay is fantastic. Well, uh, we should actually, I guess I should have uh, the Italian actually, open. Let's let the Italian speak first, Paul, and then you can go. Wait, no, no, no. All I just oh. want to say is that's funny because I was about to say that I really enjoyed Jack Glazer's performance. I thought he was great. Oh, I think he's, I, th- I mean, these are two of my favorite younger actors. I don't know if Jack, you can really say like, he's getting up there in age if you saw We Are Who We Are. But like, I think these are both oh, I know, but I think kid he, actors. I also think he recorded this when he was like 15, so. No, they uh, recorded it over Zoom, I believe. I was reading somewhere like this was deep, like the production there's was There's no, deeply. I mean, like in terms of animation production, they have to have recorded it like two years ago. I mean, um, that's like, because that's why when like, you know, people have died and they're like, no, they're still going to be in the new season of the show in two years. You're like, oh, um, go ahead, Italian. <laughs> As the Italian guy, as the resident Italian of Clapper, um, no, I, I enjoy this one. I want I, I to like Pixar, Pixar. I, I haven't really been a fan of their latest movies. I mean, when I say latest, I mean like five or six years recently. Nothing that I dislike. Maybe like Incredibles 2, I really didn't like, honestly. Um, but everything else I enjoy mildly with some standouts that just are strong in the moment, like Soul, like Coco. But then after a while, they just kind of like vanish away into my memory. And Luca vanished away after a day. <laughs> just like, sure, I watched it. It's a movie. It's, I like even the director himself, I read a couple of interviews, he, he said he was deeply inspired by Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli, and you can definitely feel the influence there. I think it doesn't really match the same atmosphere, and I wish it did. I, I wish this was, honestly, I wish this was longer. And just longer, but like even 10, 15 minutes, just let things slow down a little bit. Let's, let's, let's just vibe more. Everyone's talking about the vibes. I want more vibes. There's not enough vibes here. You just kind of, especially the first half, I think it's rushed so quickly. It's kind of like an abridged version of The Little Mermaid. But like, oh, he's underwater. And no, you cannot go up there. But whoops, he's up there. He's with the friend. And oh, he's learning to walk. And they're making the best. It's just, okay, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> just 15 minutes into the movie, everything's already happening. It's very quick. It's very, very quick. And I wish it was, again, just slow down a little bit. Let's simulate more this atmosphere. Let's live with these characters a bit more. And it's all very, very... I would almost say simplistic, unfortunately, like character development, everything that's hap- that happens. Um, I'm not one of those people who's always like, everything has to be original, but just, it didn't really leave me with much, which is unfortunate because I did like, when we got to the village, when we met the, the little girl and the sleazy Italian biker, it's, you know, just, it's, it's fun, it's cute, it's nice, it's colorful. Um, I do really like the, the animation design. I already I watched like when it came out the La Luna short film that he made also for Pixar, and it's very similar style of, of drawings and, and characters. 
and I like it. I think it's very it's it's less photorealistic than some of Pixar's most recent works, and it and it's better for it, in my opinion. It's very highly stylized, and and there's cool effects, cool effects, cool music. It's it's it it has a wonderful message at the end, undeniably so. And it made me wish that I loved this more, because we've had so many of those high concept, big themes from Pixar in the last few years that it's almost too much. And something like The Incredibles 2 should have been closer to a Luca, just lower scale, enjoy the people and characters more. And they do it here. And I think this, and I hope this is going to change a bit the trajectory for Disney in the future and Pixar. I mean, to your point about the atmosphere, I do compare to Studio Ghibli. I do like the animation. I wish it was hand drawn animation. Like, I don't, I think it's really hard with 3D animation. But go ahead, Paul. Oh, um, it's fine. Okay. I think to your point when you were talking about vibes and that the first act is rushed, I feel like the first act and the second act feel so starkly different in a way that I wish that they had merged. Um, and this isn't be like, you know, uh, what is it? Monday morning quarterbacking, but the city and then the fish world, I wish there was a more scenes of back to back as we merge these two. Because I was enjoying the fish world scene. I did think it was the Little Mermaid again. But I was enjoying it. I was enjoying their friendship. And then they get to the city and they do not leave. And I was uninterested. Um, I'm sure you could talk about this, Nick. But I felt like it was just a bunch of very like boring Italian like stereotypes. Um, I don't know when this movie's set. That's the thing. They use songs from different time periods, but you have the Roman holidays and the La Strada, I think, posters on the wall, which are from 53, 54. But there's songs from the 80s as well. It's like, what? Okay. Yeah, well, and that's... Um, I'm sure... But that's a very actually... specific thing. <laughs> well, I bet you could figure it out from just even the Vespa designs, um, this long-ass Vespa commercial. Um, and... Overall, I just felt like I didn't feel a real like connection to the city. It didn't feel like alive to me. It felt very like uh, children's movie Italy. And I know it is a children's movie, but we're going on, uh, you know, Pixar sent everyone to Italy for like three months to go learn about Italy. And they came back and they were like, they like pasta. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) I just feel like you really could have stretched out and really created something beautiful out of, you know, here's what a different culture is like. I hate that they used Americans for the voices of the fish kids when everyone else isn't. Um, Also, I will say there's a weird aspect of Maya Rudolph being a white woman, it was so uncomfortable to me. And I don't know if she like signed off on that, but like when she came out and it's just like a full on white woman, I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> These are fish people. She can be any color she wants. Um, but I did like, uh, I did like the boy characters, even though I felt like there was no Italian in them at all. Um, the, the two main characters? 
Yeah. Well, they're not. I mean, they're from the fish I, world. They're not from Italy. No, but the dad, Jim Gaffigan's character, is sure. definitely supposed to be an Italian character. Um, the big bushy mustache. I also there were things like the grandma regularly goes up to the human world, and she's not an outcast. She's perfectly fine. And then they're like, "But you can't go to the human world." I was like, "Well, then you've ruined your own conceit." Like, <laughs> well, it's supposed to be a, set up to a point an irrational fear. But yeah, I do agree. Like, I think specifically no, I know, when like, the parents go up and then like they see firsthand, they're just up there for like a week and like well, nothing really happens. Okay. Yeah. Well, and it's like, I just felt like there should have been more of that uh, push back and forth. Um, the villain's very boring to me. The uh, triathlon style thing that they have, I felt was weak. And also the pasta eating contest, again, felt like stereotypical in a way that like, I don't know how the Italian feels about it, but I was just like, Okay, yeah. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> they do the pasta eating concerts like every time it's a different type of pasta. That was like, okay, there's there's like so many types of sauces that you can make with original ingredients and stuff. It's like it's, this is gonna be fun. What type of pasta are they going to make? No, no, no. It's just like the actual format of the pasta. There's no sauce, there's no side thing. It's like it's just fucking pasta. This there's no difference in eating one type of the other. You just put your fork in and eat it. It should have been something more. Maybe it's some weird cheese combo. Maybe there's salami in it. I don't know. But not just plain pasta. <laughs> if, if there's a look or two, we might need to do a pasta eating contest on the podcast before I, I just do. saying with, with an actual sauce, like pesto sauce. Which, I don't know. Paul, you don't get and that then, reference, and the people won't listen to this either, but coming up, there might be something like that. We'll see. That's very special. Um I, I wouldn't get that reference because I don't read the Clappercast emails <laughs> or anything that regards like what's going on. I just show up. Um yeah, no, and I, my family loved this movie. It was a real, it was a real hard moment for me because I knew that they did, and I was so. I knew your family had taste. I knew it. Well, I knew no, you were the black sheep, and I knew it. <laughs> yes, all the Republican conservatives loved Luca. <laughs> they said gay rights. You know, Disney's working. <laughs> uh, no, no, they were very good friends. They're roommates. <laughs> They're bachelors. <laughs> they have no sex life. <laughs> um, no, uh, what's so interesting about uh, this film is my favorite scenes in movies is the fun and game sequence. Um, I don't know if you guys know the like uh, arc of the hero, hero's journey, but it's supposed to be like fun and games is once they get to the new world, they're like learning new things and it's like always the fun part why it's called fun and games where it's like you know them trying to learn for especially for fish out of water stories that whole sequence i think is the weakest part of the movie and i don't think i got enough enjoyment to where when we got to the part where everyone's like arguing with each other i was like i don't i'm bored i was already bored in the previous scenes and I think that's a real problem in the script because there were so many fun things you could have done. You set up a really cool world. I liked it. 
then like that whole sequence was very slow. And I think it really hurts the momentum of the movie, um, which is interesting because I'm a huge defender of Jesse Andrews, who is the co-writer of this, who wrote Me, Earl and Dying Girl, uh, both the book and the script. And actually, as soon as you hear that, I bet a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it feels just like Me, Earl and the Dying Girl. Well, that's funny because everything he does is Me, Earl and the Dying Girl. Um, I've read so many of his books and scripts and they're all pretty similar. <laughs> um, he has a type. Um, that that girl is basically just the dying girl. Um, once again, but I think this is better than uh, Mural and the Dying Girl. Also, I don't like that film. Mural, but... um, well, I think Mural and the Dying Girl specifically, like the book, I had read before, and I loved the book. And there are changes to the movie version that I think after having read the book, like just hit you, right? Uh, I don't know if you can ever have the opinion of that if you've seen the movie before. But the book is very much a comedy and the movie is very much not. And so you went in thinking it was a comedy and when it hits you and it's like, this is sad. You're like, oh, I'm, you've spent hours and hours with these characters now. It's a lot sadder. And um but I think he tried to do that again with the train ride. And I guess it worked for you, Carson. Um, I was stone faced, especially going back to uh, reference. Um, Genoa is garbage. <laughs> so when I was like, oh no, he's going to Genoa. He's going to be there for like two days and be like, all right, I'm leaving. <laughs> I've only been there like a few days over the years um, it's not one of my favorite I, cities but just like yeah. in general is over overrated it's not that sunny there's a, there's a lot of trash in the water <laughs> <laughs> i went there um i can even tell kind of that they were basing the village off of um one of the cities that i went to my friend from germany was the one driving so i would just end up in cities and big vaguely know where i was and he would be like we're here but like, I'm pretty sure that this was based off where we went, one of the areas that we went. Uh, they're a little small town. But yeah, Genoa, um, I went from France straight to Genoa and it was like, oh, this is, this is rough. <laughs> it's not good, for, good first location in Italy. It's the first time going there. Yeah. Uh, well, same with this kid who's just been in this little village as it's about to go to this... <laughs> He's going straight back into that water. So, um, I will say, instead cute, of though. insulting the real life place in the, I'll go back to insulting the movie. I do agree with you when they break up. I think since Zootopia, it's really interesting because I think a lot of people turned on that cliche in Zootopia. And since then, it's just become painfully like every animated film has that segment where they break up and then they get oh, back Jesus together God. and it's so overly done and it's lost like every time it's just like oh great here's the next 20 minutes of conflict you know how it's gonna go you know how it's gonna end it's so boring and where i think like at least this film does reach some emotional highs during that i think that is a cliche like i can do without from now on guys so let's not do it in all the other animated films yeah well and there's a lot of change like the whole final act is there's a town who's been fighting sea monsters and then they, sorry, spoiler alert, then they find out they're sea monsters and they're like, oh, it's fine. 
And actually, one of our neighbors has been a sea monster this whole time. Two of them have been. <laughs> and that's totally fine. Um, I mean, would you rather them, like, beat up the metaphor for gay people? Like, I think for the message for the kids film, it's probably ooh, best that they accept it. Actually, actually, they just yes. throw the stone and they're like, make America great again. And, like, it becomes really, like, harsh. Make Italy great again. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's what I wanted. And you, <laughs> you just see the dad and they're sitting there and there's both their heads and the parents' heads all, all just up on little like uh, mounted areas. <laughs> it's a lovely Disney Pixar movie directed by Lars von Trier. China would love it. China would be like applauding them. They'd probably give them money for that. Be good for their deal. I was actually curious about like what China will say about this movie because the coding is insanely like also I feel like if you follow the coding it's probably falls apart but I didn't try that much because I don't think it's strong enough especially since uh, everyone involved was straight but um, I don't yeah. think the I don't think the coding works especially like I knew what they were doing. And this is where I get annoyed sometimes is when they reveal that uh, Alfredo, is that his name? No, what's the other kid's name? Isn't it Alberto? Alberto. Albe yeah, that's right. Um, once they reveal he's a queer, um, a fish, uh, <laughs> and he's like, I'm no queer fish. <laughs> It just sits there and it's like, there's no, the, I was trying to figure out like what they were trying to say with that. And then he's like cast aside, but then he's able to hang out with those people as his human form again. There's just so many weird things that are like, the through line of this movie does not work um, in terms of any sort of like uh, queer coding. And it, that sure. I guess also true but don't play off that like don't like i mean i don't know the I... back the back deal the back deal conversations are to get like people who want to see that to notice it not but like i'm just tired of that like cool glad you threw some casual represent it's the same problems i had with the character in cruella sure i think this film I would say is better than Cruella, but it still is like very underwhelming for a film coming out Pride Month of 2021. Like, yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, I would agree. Well, I think this is worse than Cruella, but I like Cruella better. But I would also say that I think in terms of representation, they both get C minuses. Happy Pride Month. I'd give this one a C plus. I'd give Cruella a C minus. <laughs> I don't know, because he was cool. These kids suck. <laughs> and then they break up, and he gets with a girl. And the other guy joins an old okay. bear. <laughs> well. <laughs> okay, true, realistic. Yeah, okay. That's a Calm lovely down. character as well, honestly. I like the yeah. figure. And oh, the cat. And I like the cat as well. <laughs> Just super grumpy. Oh, yeah, okay, I will say. Um my family did love the cat and the cat is really funny. Um, I hated the villain though. Um, that's, that's a walking cliche. Yeah. Like stereotype. 
he also, of course, like, he's the only one who has a, has a bit an Italian accent. Everyone else is just talking in a very normal English way with American accent. But I'm 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 the I'm the douchebag. I'm the Italian guy. Oh hey. I feel like that's Nick uh, as soon as like he leaves his house, though. I definitely feel like that's Nick. Yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> I'm really surprised you're not wearing your scarf right now. Um. Yeah. No, it's just... velvet scarf. <laughs> There also really wasn't a comeuppance. I also felt like his um, posse, their motivations a lot of the times were really screwy. It's just kind of, it felt like a rushed script. Have you seen Ghibli films, Paul? Yeah. Have you Um, seen Kiki? Yeah, I did not like Kiki. I feel like my issues with... I, well, and I like both films probably pretty similarly. I think my issues with Luca are very similar to my issues with Kiki's delivery service, especially that ending, um, where I yeah, yeah, ex- I would agree, and the beginning feeling a bit rushed. I would agree. Yeah, it's just I think that film probably works better with vibes because of the animation, but I think they're There's two no very similar. Well. Yeah, I think we didn't need the villain here. I think that takes away from the narrative in a way. It's 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 something that it's. You well, there's to have so... the villain. That's the formula. That's what we have in these movies. But kids but do think... have like, like, yeah, I get no. that to a point. But like, I don't know. I think you need some kind of drama for this. And even I, I can appreciate yeah. it being this kind of dumb but... little kids. Like, we must win this race. When in reality, you know, it doesn't make really matter at all. But like, I can appreciate that. But mm-hmm. I think I think this is the Spider-Man uh, three issue. Is how many villains are in this movie? His parents, the cat is a villain. Uh, their friend's pa- uh, dad, the villain, you know, the the douchey little kid. Society, like we have like five villains. Pick villains. Yeah, I don't no, think the dad is like and you have threats. I, think I would say, but threats, not yes. antagonists. To the you can use of the characters, yeah. But it would be antagonists. I do think it's very um, easy to have a narrative of like, oh, we need to win this race just because I need to buy the Vespa and get out of here before my parents find me. Something mm-hmm. like that. Granted, they could just swim in the ocean probably and get away. But like, I do, th- I think there's definitely a way you can do this without the villain. But I wouldn't say his inclusion yes. like ruined it for me. No, I'm- no, I, I agree with that. And I'm happy there's no like when they introduce for a for, for only one scene in the end actually the uncle character, I was like oh no this is going to be the big villain of the movie just chasing him around trying to get him in the water to go live in the depths. It's like no it's like one scene one joke. Sasha Baron Cohen was like you know what thank God oh uh, another I end did credit like... scene as well. Yeah I was about to say I did like his end credit scene I thought that was really yeah. funny. There's an end um... credit scene for this also God damn it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I I, well, I just need to start watching credits, don't I? Uh, I am just talk over the credits with my family. So whenever there's something, yeah, like, oh, this is better than um when we watched. I'm thinking of ending things for the pod, and like there's an end credit scene that's like quite or a moment that's quite important for like the overall film, and I just completely missed it. And then we were like, let's theorize on it. I was like, what? I I don't watch credits. That's that's uh, yeah. credits. Wait, that's so people. funny. Um, I mean, I didn't watch that entire film, so. Well, I got out about halfway and I was like, R.I.P. this movie. Yeah, I mean, um, I would have if I could have. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I would compare this movie closest to something like Coco in that it's just kind of sweet and nice. And um, 
but I think Coco is so much stronger in its emotional beats. And I feel like, um, you know, I've seen a lot of things about what happened to Pixar. And regardless of how you feel about him personally, I think he's awful, especially with his employees. I've heard stories personally. Um, Lasseter is a lot of why you're feeling a difference. Because it's like, uh, you know, we talk about uh, directorial vision and everything, but like Pixar was Lasseter's vision. And now that they don't have that, they're kind of trying to figure out what that is. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see like, you know, what happens after you get rid of, you know, any of these people that we talk about, let's, you know, they should not be making movies. See, did that. Go ahead. I feel, I, I feel like I have a hot take on it is I think the originals are probably getting overall better. I think like Monsters Inc. is still like the number one Pixar film, right? But like, and I think the sequels are all like, I don't know if there's a single sequel That's, I like like uh, uh, out of any of them. Uh, 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 uh. The correct answer is Ratatouille. I, I need to revisit Ratatouille. I did say, I just posted my <laughs> ranking. I do need to revisit that film. But I think the originals the have been like fire. No, two. none of the Toy Story films, including the first one, are good, Nick. Thank you for that. Though. No. But, but anyway, third- I do think like since Coco, I think the originals have been fire. I loved Onward. I like Soul quite a bit. I loved Luca. Like, I do they, think these I, are good. I, I, and I think- I'll say that for me. I'm not going to say that objectively, but. Yeah, no, I, but I'm saying, oh. I would say all of those are bad, but <laughs> um, but not to put you down, they're also not good. Um, <laughs> so they're both bad and they're not good. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I was just going to say like, um, I was watching your face. Um, I do think that there's something about... Uh, the Pixar, you know, uh, formula, which people thought was inventive, now think is kind of corny. And now they're trying to move away from that formula. And I think they're struggling to figure out what they are outside of that. Um, and I'm I'd not- agree with that statement. I'll be curious to see. I think for, um, if you listen to the podcast, you'll remember I talked about that I think that Netflix, uh, Disney's slowly trying to squeeze Pixar to where they either lower their budgets or move back to Los Angeles or whatever. But I do think Raya will be an interesting thing because I think they'll realize that they can't necessarily do it with the carte blanche that they were originally expecting. Because um, if you look before Raya, there were, Disney animation was kind of on a roll. Raya was like a big, like, it's like a wet fart in the middle of like <laughs> what they were trying to do. Um, and I mean, Raya, uh, you go against something like even Wish Dragon. I'd rather watch Wish Dragon again than Raya. Um, like, and I think that's a big deal because Sony Animation is considered the redheaded stepchild of the animation world. It's kind of like the, you don't count. I mean, they peaked with Surf's Up, let's be honest. Well, no, you don't count Spider-Man because Spider-Man is an IP 
And it's like, you know, they were already had a boon if, you know, whatever, whatever. But it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. And I think a lot of it is based on, I don't know what Disney uh, Animation's next movie is. Carson, you may. But I do know that the Red Panda movie is the next Pixar one. And I think a lot of that of Pixar's future has to deal with that and also on um, the Monsters, Inc. show. Monsters uh, at Work. It, I don't believe that's Pixar, to be fair. Um, Enchanto is the next Disney. It, it's it. Lin-Manuel Miranda's Enchanto uh, is the next Disney Ooh. original animated feature. Well, um, Pixar's uh, is the furry one, yeah. But yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how everyone moves forward with these next two movies because I think that there's a reason they didn't put Luca out and it's not because of COVID. It somewhat is, but I also think there's a reason that they didn't. And I could see it's that they don't expect that people would go see it again. Um, it feels very like one and done. Um, so that could be an aspect, but I don't know where, uh, that leaves Pixar right now because now they have the past two movies, two and a half, if you want to count onward, where <laughs> they have not released it theatrically. And um, their next theatrical one looks interesting to say the least. So yeah. Uh, we've questioned if cars have emotions. We've questioned if robots have emotions. We're now asking the question, do furries have emotions? We will see with turning red. Oh, see, I always thought of it as furry Hulk but <laughs> I haven't seen it. We'll see. <laughs> oh, I mean, I haven't seen it either, but it's, it's furry Hulk. Whenever she yeah. gets mad, she turns into a giant. <laughs> it is a cute red panda. I'll say that. It's but... a very cute red panda, but it also looks like a boy, which really... yes, <laughs> it's a very like a male coded. <laughs> it's very weird. We'll see. <laughs> I can't say I'm really looking. For... I can't say like Luca was on my top 10 anticipated of the year. Can't really say turning red will be, but like turning red. What a terrible. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this conversation of Luca and our four major reviews for this episode. As always, let's end off before we get to our recommendations with our film Spotlight, the Spotlight film that we're talking about this week celebrating diversity is 2011's Isabel Sandoval's Senorita. I feel horrible. I was traveling this week. Didn't get a chance to see it. I don't think Paul did either. So Nick, you're the you're the voice here. Tell us about this movie. Isabel Sandoval is a, is a is a filmmaker that I've grown to love a lot over this year. Um, I first I first heard about her through Twitter because she's becoming increasingly more popular on the platform. I was like, okay, she seems cool. Oh, she makes movies. Cool. Let's let's watch the most popular one, which is Lingua Franca. Um, and I was beating myself because I actually could have seen this at Venice. It premiered there when I was there. And instead, I watched another a, a shitty German psychological horror. I could have been to this screening because I loved Lingua Franca. And I was incredibly excited to watch the rest of her body of work, which are two movies, and, and, and Senorita and Apparition. And Senorita is, 
I, I think it's really, really good. Of course, it's a it's a feature debut made in 2011 on a shoestring budget by someone who's never made movies before and hasn't studied them. She has only studied them by watching them. It's very much like the Tarantino way of, of making movies. And it's, it's a very admirable film, especially considering that this is a story of a transgender sex worker trying to change their life. And she made it pre-transition, three years, I believe, before doing it. Um, and and she has said that making this movie, like she acts, she acts, she directs it, she wrote it, she didn't edit this one, but she produced it. She did a lot of work. And you can feel the passion behind the camera. It's a very slow movie. It's, it's very character-driven, dialogue-driven. I would almost say it's to a fault because she clearly started to understand camera movements and the importance of cinematography on a deeper level with the rest of her movies. But this one shows already a lot of promise for what she was going to become. And the fact that making this made her understand who she really was inside. It's literally cinema as self-discovery for herself and pro probably for other people too. I think it's absolutely wonderful. And it's a nice little film as well. Like narratively, it's a bit of a thriller in a way, um, inspired by Clot, which I still haven't watched, but very political with a lot of a lot of great performances, honestly. This could have been a garbage film. I've seen a lot of like small budget movies from uh, from East Asia and the, the Indonesia and stuff. And sometimes it, I'm sorry, but horrible acting and everyone here does a really good job, especially one actor, I don't remember the name, who plays her friend who she has an interesting relationship with. It was fantastic. So I, I recommend you watch this, this movie and the rest of her work. They're both, they're all streaming services. You got Netflix, Criterion Channel, and the movie. So there's there's no excuse. At least one of them you're going to be able to watch. Yeah, totally. I've talked about Lingo Frank on here on the podcast, and that's a great film. And I'm definitely going to check out those other two. I know, at least in America, Criterion Channel, they are your friends, unlike every other streaming service, because they put out good shit. Um, but let's end off with our recommendations as we always do. I'll start us off. Uh, I was inspired this week to finally check out Larry Clark's Kids. I watched a documentary at Tribeca about New York at this time, and they mentioned this. And I was like, fuck it, let's just do it. I'm blown away by it. It is an absolutely haunting portrayal of teenage life and just that carefree attitude and the long-term damages it can have. I think the conversation surrounding this film is fascinating because it both in some ways glorifies this lifestyle and also condemns it. And hearing different people take out different parts of each of those. Some people want to be right there living this lifestyle. Some people want it to be as far away from it as possible. Um, but this one, I think, is just an absolute masterpiece. Very hard to swallow. I definitely get why so many people like have a hard time with this film. But I, I love this film. And I think it is a genuine masterpiece. Uh, Paul, what is your recommendation this week? I'm sorry, Carson. I have multiple recommendations. Uh, At least, if, <laughs> hey, if one of them is a film, you're doing better than normal. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Actually, kind of, though. Um, so... On Netflix, there is a Spanish language soap opera drama called Elite, um, which is time out. Is it Elite or is it just Elite? Because you're the only uh, person I've ever heard okay. call it Elite, and I've looked into this because I'm watching the show right now. Okay, so it is Elite. Okay, but all of my friends told me it was Elite because that's like how when you're in France, you're supposed to say France. France and all that stuff and so I've just like kind of gotten into my head I think it is elite but it is like 
if you're saying the Spanish language, which I'm also watching the Spanish language version. So we'll go with elite though. Anyway, first three seasons, uh, first two are great. Third one's okay. Um, but during COVID, they had to do these sh- short stories. And each of these four episodes are almost better than most seasons of regular television. And they're just like 45 minutes long. They're little short stories, but it was the writers being able to do something not connected to a larger narrative and just tell stories about their characters. And it feels so realistic. And um, the dialogue is natural and slow. And, uh, you know, they can't have a bunch of characters. And it's top notch. Love it. Um, Fourth season also came out. Have not started it. That's what I was discussing with my... I need to get caught up on things. My second recommendation is uh, a book called Bathhouse by uh, PJ Vernon. And I started it, I've been like trying to read more novels um, and novels are really hit or miss for me because if a novel is boring, I cannot get through it. TV show, I can kind of like push my way through because I can do other things. Novels, you have to focus in a way that's very unique. This book I finished in 24 hours um, and it's like 320 pages, which was basically my entire two days were like, you know, focused on reading. Um, It's a like queer thriller in the same vein as something like Gone Girl, Woman in the Window or uh, Girl in the Train. Uh, those kind of like thrillers, but it's set very queer, very gay. And it's really fun. It's just fun. Um, it definitely will be made into a movie in a couple of years if you just want to wait around. Like you can just tell when you read some stuff that like someone's going to buy this and make it. Um, but I would read the book and be cooler than all your friends. <laughs> so that's my recommendations for this week. Watch Elite not elite and uh read bathhouse well thanks for those recommendations in our movie podcast nick finish it off what's your recommendations this week (laughs) Uh, my recommendation is the amusement park by george romero this is i'm I'm a big fan of george romero and i'm ashamed that i haven't finished his filmography yet because i do really enjoy his movies especially his, his early work and this is a film that was forgotten for a long time he made it as a I don't even remember, there's a whole interesting story. It was like meant to be a PSA for a Lutheran society organization uh, talking about the elderly. And the project just spiraled into this medium length film, just 53 minutes long. And it's wonderful. It blew me away by how just disturbing it is in a way that never relies on gore. We know we made zombie movies and stuff, but this one doesn't have violence per se. But it's such a haunting look at growing old, at ableism, at ageism, all set around this amusement park where this elderly man starts off by seeing a, a beaten up version of himself. And he's like, oh, but why are you standing in this white room? Go go outside. There's, there's life. There's joy. No, no, no. Don't go outside because it's, it's straight. It's horrible. Okay, no, I'm full of life. I'm full of hope. Let's go outside. And you follow this man going through these different attractions. And it's just horrible in an amusing way at first, but just 
it's elderly people who cannot get on certain rides or getting uh, just get them thrown into jail. Some of them start dying. It's it's a nightmare. That's the best way I can define it. It's a pure nightmare. Nothing really makes sense, but in its own way, it does. And I think we're blessed. We're living in an age where we're, we're still getting Orson Welles movies. We got a new George Romero film. We are blessed. It's an, an embarrassment of riches, honestly. And this one, again, is, is streaming on Shudder, barely less than an hour long. So it's an incredibly, like, super quick watch. I mean, it's a good recommendation. I agree we're living in a time of just, un, you know, endless wealth. You have things like Peter Rabbit 2 out there that you can go see also. So should be fun times at the cinema and at home watching cinema. Let's finish this off with our social medias. Where can we find people? Nick, you go first. You can follow me on Twitter at NickyGra97 and on Letterboxd at Nicolo Grasso. And you can watch my short films and videos on YouTube and Vimeo at Enjoy the Movies. Paul? At PriceLikeTag on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews. Letterbox just Carson Tamar. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Every Wednesday, we post new episodes of Clappercast. You can email us with your thoughts, questions, opinions at clappercast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find Clapper everywhere. You find literally anything. We're on every social media platform. We have Uncut Gems podcast. We have all that going on. Uh, we have a Patreon. Please support. We have bonus episodes of Classic Clappercast. We might have some other fun things coming out shortly. So check us out there. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back. We will be back next week to discuss all things cinema. Goodbye.